You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, everybody. I've got the reboot of part two of our Cubism episode for you today. This episode was originally released on August 26, 2016. One quick correction from this episode. Very late in the episode, Piet Mondrian comes up and we mistakenly call him French. He wasn't French, he was Dutch. Also make sure to check out the Art History Babes store at arthistorybabes.com. We've got some new stickers up and be on the lookout for an upcoming Cubism inspired playlist on our Spotify. There's already a handful of playlists up and I'll be getting the Cubism one out sometime this week. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. Today we're doing Cubism Part 2. Uh, oh, do! <laughs> a part of do. Which, which means that we're on our like fourth <laughs> bottle of wine. Oh my do god. Do. <laughs> So if you listen to Color Theory Part 2, you have an idea of what you're in for. But here we are, talking about cubism. How do you say, ooh? <laughs> Before we get into it, um, let's see what's going on. Has anyone else, has anyone read the new Harry Potter? <laughs> no, no, but... What? Wait, does anyone read her other book? <laughs> what? No, there's a new... It's age. a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big you deal, The Cursed Child. Okay, I'm going to talk about it because I'm the only one who's reading it, apparently. Right. Okay, but, yeah. then I, but then I have some this Okay. I haven't finished it. I'm on, like, the last 20 pages. How did you come here? <laughs> Literally would not have come until I finished. <laughs> so I'm, I'm almost done with it. It's ridiculous I haven't finished it yet. It's really interesting because it's, it's a play. It's a play. And it's yours. <laughs> um, so Harry Potter is a cursed child. It's a play. It's not. This is serious business. Uh, it is serious business, Jen. <laughs> Did you not read? Are you not a Harry Potter fan? I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm not. And oh, I, uh, and get like, out of my face. Oh, my God. I'm out of the group. <laughs> You don't, don't, don't ever talk to me or my son ever again. You don't believe in magic. <laughs> um, anyways. Do you believe in magic? Stop it. <laughs> I've enjoyed every second of it. It has taken me right into the Harry Potter world. I have really enjoyed it. In my humble opinion, it reminds me of just really, really, really good fan fiction. Oh. Yeah. It's it's different because it's a play for one, so it's a completely different format, mm-hmm. and it's a real play, and it's it's got some interesting stuff going on. But to say it is the seventh book is not true. It's doing it's, it a disservice. Yeah, is what it exactly. Like. It's a separate thing. Okay. I think you should go into it looking at as at it as a separate thing. But it, I instantly felt like I was in the Harry Potter universe again, which is really all I would ever want out of a Harry Potter Whoa. book. Okay, side note from the whole actual Harry Potter, but have you guys read any of J.K. Rowling's... What was the other one? I didn't no, read no, no. it. So there was there was her other book that she wrote under her name, which was... 
casual vacancy. Yeah, I didn't read but that. But she also has a whole crime series written under the name Robert. I want to say it's like Robert. I don't. It's a different name, but it, it begins with a G. It's a it's a fake name. Have and, you read it? Yes, I read all three of them. I just finished the third one today. Are they amazing? She's, it's fantastic. It's really? all about yeah. It's all about like a private detective, and his name's Corman Strike. And he Corman Strike. Coraman Strike. Coraman. Cor- yeah. How do you spell that? C O R. Coraman sounds like a spice. Coraman. Yeah, and like it's a, a British spice. And it's a running joke in the book that everyone calls him Cameron. So like, it's um, not even like a common name that. Is that a fake name? He has a fake name. No, it's his name. People just always get it wrong because it's so interesting. Long story short, (laughs) it's a fantastic series. And there's three of them. And you guys should honestly read them if you like crime novels. But let's... Art? (laughs) Um, um, Jen stole someone's... (laughs) Jen stole someone's wine. So we're going to give this to Jenny. (laughs) Oh, I know I put it somewhere. (laughs) I stole someone's wine. I'm sorry. Um... Okay, so that was just a brief side note about J.K. Rowling. Because we love you. We do. We're going to dive back into the world of cubism. Congratulations. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our first episode where we discussed we discussed the circles of cubism, the different types of cubism, primitivism, and the fourth dimension. All very important aspects of cubism. Mm-hmm. And just modernism in general. So what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Going to pass it over to Natalie, and she's going to talk a little bit about a movement that was kind of a, a response to Cubism. It was alive at about the same time. What was it, 19... Started about 1909. 1909. So it was alive basically... Really right in the middle of it. Yeah, right after the inception of um, Cubism. And it was kind of a response, but they have a lot of uh, very similar aspects, which is futurism. So futurism and Cubism, they kind of go hand in hand, but also have interesting differences. So, Natalie's going to talk about that a little bit. Natalie. Hey, guess. So, yeah. So, the Futurist Movement, it was based in Italy. So, Futurismo. Started about 1909, went through the, ni- like the late 1920s. And it's really on the heels of Cubism in that they share a lot of the same ideas, especially in terms of um, reduction oh, and breaking things down into, <laughs> breaking objects down into pieces. A lot of the similarities have to do with the idea of, like, movement. Where it starts to differ is that the Cubists were really focused on technology and machinery. So when they were dealing with movement, they were really into speed and urban modernity. And they found beauty in the machine rather than nature. And instead of taking the past and building upon it, as had kind of always been done... They thought that you had to basically destroy and deconstruct the past in order to reach a true modernity. So it was just pure destruction of everything that had come before in order to make way for the new. And it was meant to really go beyond the visual, even in terms of what we think of as you know traditional art. So painting, two-dimensional stuff, even sculpture. It was supposed to be multi-sensory. So you were supposed to see a painting of a car and you were supposed to kind of feel the heat and smell the oil and you were supposed to have all of these other reactions to it other than just visual. And it was also kind of violent. (laughs) They were really into, yeah, just like violence and it was a very youthful movement. 
So a lot of young Italians, again, a lot to do with destruction. So that in itself is kind of a violent act. In relation to cubism, there are a lot of similarities here in in the book I talked about in the first episode, which was Cubism and Culture by, what's his name, Antleaf. Cubism and Culture, Mark Antleaf and Patricia Layton, they actually refer, there's a, a quote that refers to Cubism as the end of the old world of art with a new violence. Ooh. So yeah, there there is, in both yes. Cubism and Futurism, a certain <laughs> violence to it. It's very like intense and, and it can be violent. Some images it. that you look at, some cubist images that you look at, they, they have this inherent like sharpness and violence mm-hmm. to them. The difference, I think, like, because also futurists, they... It was, it, it was it, a social movement as well. It, it wasn't only an art movement. It yeah. Was a social movement. They also, similar to cubists, they embodied this idea of this rejection of tradition. Obviously, they're trying to come up with with a new way of looking at things, a new modernity, as Natalie was describing. What's different between the Cubists and the Futurists is that the Cubists were very attached to this idea of natural forms. They saw in, as we talked about in the first episode, we talked about how African art influenced Cubism, and they saw a an attraction to to the natural, mm-hmm. to the there was something mystical and romantic about the natural world as opposed to the civilized world. Yeah. So, or the, even just the human aspect of that natural primitive, yeah, quote unquote primitive <laughs> world. Yeah, exactly. And the futurists were much more interested in technology. They were very into the machine. The automobile was like their muse. Honestly, they they talk about the automobile, the car a lot. And in February of 1909, Filippo Tommaso Marinetti wrote the Futurist Manifesto. And a lot of that manifesto, which is written in standard manifesto form, talks about being in a car and getting into a car accident, but like in a very riveting way. It's not scary. It's like exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, he refers to it as his beautiful shark. And so he's missing, mixing these. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's a very interesting. See, okay, read. this is this reminds me of the difference between kind of your in terms of modern day philosophy and the way people look look at things. It this reminds me of the difference between science fiction people. Like, people that look at, like, take a philosophical perspective that's more science fiction-based, and then you're more, like, hippie nature-based philosophy in modern day. You know what I mean? You have, like, natural forms and, like, attraction to quote-unquote primitive-ism. So simpler things, nature, the natural way of things. And then you have, like, your science fiction people who are all about technology and robots and how that relates to humans yeah so i feel like it's kind of a similar divide well and you talked about in the beginning how cubism comes out of industrialization and it's a response to it so futurism is just a response to cubism and that it's it's nature versus technology and i we haven't let go of that still people still debate today which is kind of a stronger force in which we should be more invested in. And 
Yeah, it's like the I ultimate the answer. <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. It's like the ultimate debate. Like, yeah. should we let technology guide us or should we let nature guide us? Yeah. And like I feel like that's a very real thing that's going on with futurism versus cubism. Mm-hmm. There there's a lot of the central ideas are very similar. They're all they're both guided by this desire to re- reject traditional ideas, come up with new ideas, mm-hmm. look at the world from a new place, but cubism is looking at it from this more like going backward and finding the answers where yeah. futurism is looking forward to technology for the answers. Yeah, no, that definitely. And I mean, some of the stances they take in their manifesto, I mean, they talk about a love for danger and fearlessness. It is, it's a very Oh my God, youthful. what badasses. Yeah, it is. <laughs> there's so much angst in these words, you guys. It's insane. Okay, so let's see. Right here, we have, we affirm that the world's magnificence has been enriched by a new beauty, the beauty of speed, a racing car whose hood is adorned with great pipes like serpents of explosive breath. A roaring car that seems to ride on the grape shot is more beautiful than the victory of Samarith. Yes. I don't know what that means. What? Yes. like, Like, they are, like, getting off to technology i am <laughs> i feel like i don't know i get i, I get like a self-destructive vibe yeah. a little bit i mean that could just be me well, that's what I, I mean like it is very like full of youth and angst like yeah. they have this kind we're of we're gonna like, live forever yes, yes totally <laughs> they really they're on that role it's kind of interesting though because i feel like the manifesto is a lot more in that vein than the art comes off yeah like the art is similar to cubism. It's very similar <laughs> like, to cubism. The art, like the mentality, yes, yeah. is both similar and different in very extreme ways. But the art blends together yeah. sometimes. Like you can, there are certain futurist paintings that look a lot like cubist paintings. Yeah, to it's me. pretty much subject matter that kind of really differentiates the two. You get a lot more surprise, surprise cars other mechanical objects in futurism but you still see those in cubism they're just more present in futurism yeah so like statistically you see more of them in futurism but it's it's not that different yeah it's really the manifesto the whole theory behind it which kind of brings up an important point about cubism that i meant to mention earlier but like when you look at a cubist painting if you're totally unfamiliar with what's going on with modern art or any of those things, and you look at it, oftentimes people are very confused by it. Even today, it gets a bad rap. Like, even today, people might look at a Picasso and be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what was he thinking? Yeah, exactly. Now, the thing is with cubism that's important to remember is, like, there's all these ideas that work here. Um, oh, God, don't point that at us. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god that's so phallic Jen <laughs> phallic symbols all over the place oh <laughs> okay so but cubism cubism you should put that on our Instagram <laughs> oh I didn't get it for Instagram that's on Snapchat you can see it, it. You can put it on Instagram it. It but yeah so you look at a cubist painting and you, if you have no art historical background, no, even no understanding of modern art, you might look at it and be really confused and wonder what the hell is going on. But what's important to remember is, is cubism is intended to be an expression of reality. 
They look at something real, like a cat, and then they try and look at it from multiple angles or multiple dimensions, as Jen was talking about. And they try to put it all into one picture plane. So you begin to understand that when you look at something that is in reality, you look at it from your own your own combination of perspectives. You look at it from what, if you look at a cat, you're going to see that cat from whatever angles you have seen a cat before. (laughs) Well, there's some like, there's like an, what's up that cat though? There's some important cubist paintings of cats. I've seen cats from every angle. (laughs) But like, that's kind of the idea is it's, it's meant to mess with your perception because it's essentially Suggesting this idea that here is this image that is something that you know you have seen in reality, but it it's playing with your senses and it's saying, but you will only see it from the perspectives you have seen it from. So it gets one at a time. One, yeah. But we're gonna give them all to you at once. We're gonna give you all these perspectives, and you're still, as you look at this painting of this thing from multiple perspectives, you're only gonna recognize it from the perspectives you have seen before. So it's like a I'm fucking with your perspective, essentially, which I think is the main thing, the the number one visual trick that both cubist and futurists do. Yeah. So I want to love the futurists because they're Italian <laughs> and I um, want to. But, but the manifesto, let's go back to the term problematic. It has its issues. You get down to the end, and they save it for numbers 9 and 10 because, you know, they don't want to lose face <laughs> right at the beginning. So, <clears throat> number 9. We will glorify war, the world's only hygiene. Militarism, patriotism, uh, the destructive gesture of freedom bringers. Beautiful ideas worth dying for. And scorn for women. Why? Why did they you have to add that last woman. line? Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not women. Woman. Uh, yeah, like, so unnecessary. You've, anyways. Okay, and then number 10. We will destroy the museums, <laughs> libraries, academies of every kind. We'll fight moralism, feminism, every opportunistic or utilitarian cowardice. So they went, I mean. No, they won't. So no, they won't. <laughs> sense that this is what led into Mussolini and the yes. fascists. Yeah. These guys went yeah. fascist fast. Yeah. I don't even think we really need to pick that apart. That's like. Fuck you guys. (laughs) Glad you failed. From like, yeah, from a visual perspective, I can appreciate it in the ways that it's similar to cubism and messes with perspective. And I also dig the whole technology aspect of things because technology is dope and interesting. But when but it but it gets really self-gratifying really quick and they start to treat it like um cars which i guess kind of carries over to nowadays but like cars and technology and machinery is super masculine cars are manly yeah and that that has you know is like the antithesis to women i don't know where that really came from me either it it came out of nowhere it's kind of disappointing i'm really disappointed in you marinetti but, you know, yeah, they went full-blown fascist. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they're the only avant-garde movement to ever be right-wing. <laughs> I think. I don't, yeah, I don't avant-garde, know. Avant-garde, not I, all art movements. I don't but. know that you're wrong, but I would agree with yeah. that. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, like, they had some good ideas, and then they, they just went a really weird direction with it. Yeah. A really um, intolerant 
shitty direction, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so, so we'll, I mean, we'll we'll put some examples of futurist art on the website. Uh, I'll just list some influential artists because I don't want to just like rip on it and then not mention some big names. So we have Umberto Boccioni, Giacomo Bala, Gino Savani, and Carlo Cara. Those are just some of the many futurist artists. And it didn't only stay in Italy. It actually moved over to Russia and England and some other locations later on. But biggest in Italy started in Italy. Most yeah. well-known ty- for being Italian. Yeah, it's typically referred to as Italian futurism. Yeah. And yeah, once again, it does play with some really interesting ideas. So it's not totally lost, but... Um, once you start uh, rejecting lose the misogyny, yeah, once not you, necessary. Once you start pulling out misogyny like that, I'm kind of over you. So, so yeah, that's futurism as kind of a response and a conversation with cubism. Yeah, we'll have a few images so you can kind of see the similarities and the differences. Now, to jump off of that and go a completely different direction, um, Ginny... There is no transition there possible. Ginny's going to talk about a badass female cubist that... Um, defied the futurists. Yeah, defied those futurists. Fuck yeah. you, futurists. Oh, they were so terrible. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so, you know, cubism is not, like, my realm per se so I was like racking my brains I was like okay what could I contribute to this episode like con Jenny think of something and I was like oh my god Blanche lady power Blanche Lazelle many of you probably don't know who Blanche is I did not know who Blanche was for a very long time But she can easily be credited as one of the first women artists to introduce modern art to America, which is like a really big deal. (laughs) And Blanche was actually part of the Provincetown Printers, which was a group of female artists, primarily printmakers. They also, a lot of them were also painters kind of branched into other mediums outside of just printmaking, but the Provincetown printers were woodblock, like they were a woodblock. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. They were a woodblock (laughs) print society in America, and they were founded in 1918. And so Blanche's kind of role in this is that, you know, she was We'll just start with kind of her background first. She was born in 1878 in America, and um, due to a childhood illness, she was pretty much deaf. But despite that, she went out and she went to college, and then she went to art school, and later she went to Paris, where she took a lot of art courses and was trained under various artists in Paris at the time. Um, She was even a classmate at one point with Georgia O'Keeffe. So she has like a really prolific, impressive background from a young age. And she studied under a variety of Cubist French artists, including Fernand Ledger, André Lachote, Okay, so here's the thing. I don't, I, I haven't taken French. It's it's bad. I probably should have, but I haven't. So most of these, I'm like, just kind of winging it. Albert Glaze. El, Albert Glaze. Albert. Yep. Albert, Albert Glaze. There it is. There okay. it is. <laughs> Albert Glaze. Albert 
Glaze. <laughs> and Glaze was one of the first to publish a major treatise on Cubism in 1912, which is just called Du Cubisme, which just hmm. basically means on Cubism. And that was in 1912. Maybe I already said that, but I can't remember because honestly, we've been recording for a long time. <laughs> and uh, I don't know anymore. Anyways. So this was Blanche's background where she was educated in many ways, both academically and also kind of like in the field where she was in Paris and she was learning from like the top Cubist artists of the time. And so naturally when she comes back to the States, she's bringing a lot of this style and influence back to America. So she was, like I said, primarily a printmaker where she was working with other women artists in the Provincetown Printers Workshop, but she also did paintings, and both her prints and her paintings really drew influence from her Cubist teachers in Paris. And this, you can see it in kind of like these angled patchwork lines and sort of geometric forms and these elevated vantage points. And so she is, you know, really integral in like bringing this style back to America following like World War One, and when a lot of like expatriates are coming back to the States. She was also really influenced by Yukioe woodblock prints, or which are Japanese woodblock prints. And this, she's also very integral in bringing kind of like the Japanese May print aesthetic to the States. And bless her for that. Yeah, she's just like a really cool lady. Yeah, not to mention like, I didn't know anything about her until you brought her up to me. And mm-hmm. I like looked her up briefly. And her work is fucking dope. Oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's so great. I know. I saw a print for her recently that was like for $5,000. And I was like, well, (laughs) I'll just simply set aside money for multiple, multiple years. And then I'll I'll just purchase it. And it'll be great. And it will be well. Yeah. Bob Dylan painting recently. But we'll post some of her prints and at least one of her paintings kind of parallel to some of these Cubist male artists in France that she studied under. And you'll see kind of the visual connections that she had with them. And like the Provincetown printers, like we could do an episode on them alone. They were... They were so cool. We have to do so cool. We have so many episodes to do. Oh my god! Crazy. We have to do a lot of printmaking episodes. There's so many ridiculously talented printmakers that aren't famous, like aren't famous to laymen. Right, and printmakers are often overlooked in art history, which which is a shame because it's a shame. Amazing. It's a shame. So Blanche, this is for you. You're our art history, babe. I hope I did you a solid here. I I hope that I made you proud. (laughs) (laughs) Makes no sense. Moment of silence. Moment of silence. Yeah, so she's she's our our featured art history babe of the episode. Yeah, you should all check her out because and we'll we'll post sources for this because there's a really excellent book specifically on Blanche. 
that I referenced for this. She has, she has great colors, too. I know. She's like a really great combination of cubism and fauvism. Yes. And I'm obsessed with fauvism. And she was very influenced by both of them. Yeah. Her shit's gorgeous. Like, we'll definitely, we'll definitely post it. She's amazing. And it's definitely synthetic cubism if we're going back to... Yeah, it's definitely synthetic cubism if we're going back to the two types. She uses a lot of color mm. and kind of simplified shapes rather than focusing on movement. But yeah. It is, it is very, very aesthetic. She's dope. Yeah, I love it. It makes me, like, really happy. I know. Like, it's like a happy feel. So I think I think that's, that's what is we Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> that we got for cubism part two anyone else have anything left to say on cubism before we go to listener mail no any, any? <laughs> no well jen's That's checked out no from jen any any favorite cubist we've artists? been here all night long we never talked about Richie. um Mon- mondrian mondrian well he's not technically cubist right. he was influenced by cubists uh, he I was don't like even know <laughs> uh pete mondrian <laughs> Uh, came out of Cubism. I think. He, oh, he's men. Yeah, he's he's not. I don't know. He's kind of a mix of both. He um was undeniably influenced by Cubists, and that's he, true. Though you're right, it is way more minimalist. Yeah, but then he kind of I moved towards got, minimalism. I moved down the French rabbit hole. Yeah, he's French, and he's French rabbit hole. He's French. <laughs> that should be a restaurant name. Sounds really sexual the, to me. Or a band name. Or a band name. The French Rabbit Hole. Ooh, I just wow. sounds so sexual to me. Like just not not nice. No, I don't it, know. I associate I anything. I think it is nice because it's <laughs> it's an enigma. I love enigmas. No. It sounds like something you would look up on Urban Dictionary. That's hey, guys, true. Guys, so if you looked up a French Rabbit Hole. <laughs> oh, dude. Right. We can That's we can make that. Happen a thing. Now. What do we want French rabbit holes? Listeners, to write in to what you think of <laughs> so Oh my god, okay, guys, okay. This is a Twitter brilliant. moment. This is a Twitter moment. Okay, if you're listening right now, hashtag French rabbit hole <laughs> and what you think the definition should be. And if it's too crude, email it to us. We'll still read No, it. if it's too crude, you should just probably put it on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> but hashtag it. Let's see what we can make happen. Oh, oh this is so great. I'm this so is fun. thrilled about so, this. So, yeah, that's the new the new hashtag. We'll all be thinking about it. French rabbit hole. See what you can come up with. Yeah. Listener mail? Listener mail. Time for listener mail. mail. So, let's huh. pull up some listener mail. Okay. Do you want to read it, Jen? Um, yeah, certainly. Do you want me to read it? Do you want me to read it? <laughs> I'll read it. Jen wants to read it. I want to read it. Okay, let's let Jen read it. Let me read it. First, we're just going to say this cubist episode was partially inspired by Megan's email because she had requested kind of like specific art period episodes. So, Megan, thank you. Thank you, Megan. Now, the email, the, the, the <laughs> header is THANK YOU in all caps. No, thank you, Megan. No, this is Carla. Carla but thank you, Megan. Carla, oh, Carla, but also thank you, Carla. Megan, but this is from Carla. Hi! You gals are my saviors. I was so glad when I found your podcast, since you make art history detailed, accessible, and interesting. Unlike the other art history podcasts I've listened to. Mmm, girl. <laughs> okay, so I'm 17 and from Melbourne, Australia. And I am super keen to do art history at university. 
So I was super sh- keen is like the so fucking keen. cutest. I know. We I need to go to Australia because I really want to meet Carla. I love Carla so much. Carla, you're super <laughs> keen as you are in history at university. <laughs> but you were just wondering if we had any tips for studying art history at uni and if you have yeah. any idea what types of jobs you'll have when you finish grad school. Oh, fuck. I know art history leads to curating, but I was wondering what else can lend itself to. Baby, I want to know, too. <laughs> I want to know, too. Jen has just called you baby like three times, which is a true honor. I hope you know That's this, Carla. because I love you, and I really, I'm, I love women, and they're like my babies. You guys are my babies. All right, the last part of Carla's email says, also... There are so many art books in the world, <sighs> but could you recommend any that one give a non-boring but detailed overview of art history in parentheses or at least of the 20th century or something? And number two, are easy for a smart but not genius 17-year-old to read. And the end of the email says, thank you. And please, please, please keep making episodes. Love, Carla. P.S. It would be cool if you maybe did an episode explaining all the symbolism in a really complex painting like something from the Renaissance. P.P.S. Thank you for recommending that 20th Century in Color book because it's fulfilling my life. Carla! Carla! Thank you. Oh, Carla, you little sweet baby. So I want to start off by saying, though, Carla, do not discredit yourself. You sound very intelligent, so we are not going to give you any dummy books. You sound like you can handle any art historical texts with the best of them. For sure. And we're all grad students here, and I can guarantee 100% we had a read shit last year that we were like, what's happening? We had no idea. And the only way to figure it out is to read it. So and talk about it. read and talk yeah talk and read read and talk exactly so if you find something that you find is too difficult I would say don't give up on it I'm sure you can figure it out you you can totally do it also the Pantone book she was referring to is from our color theory episode I'm glad you enjoyed it because we all love the shit yes. out of it <laughs> um, it's a great book it's just really fun and really interesting but we have some books for you um, I think we all have some book recommendations that we can give you also before we get into the book recommendations though I do want to kind of mention that like being a young art historian can be discouraging stick with it don't let anyone like discourage you from it like stick with it as far as like jobs go and stuff we're still figuring that out but obviously we're kind of trying to just like make it our own thing we're doing a podcast like just do what you love and you figure out a way to do it so and also people who are like oh uh, you're that major like oh i hated that class or oh how are you gonna make money fuck them Honestly, it's, it's, more often than not, people are like, I took an art history class and I loved it. Like, we get a, I yeah, get a lot of that yeah. from you guys. Like, some people will be like, yeah, like business people or just, you know, right. way different I think majors the older you some, get, the, the more people have a negative experience. No, I oh. think the more understanding people are and like the less judgmental people are. Like, as a practice, I think it's just in poor taste to like hear about something that someone is studying or doing as a profession be like oh god because there are (laughs) people are so fucking different and that is what is great about humanity 
and that like each and every field there is in the world and there are a plethora needs to have people that are into it. 100%. And being able to appreciate that, being able to be like, oh, like that's what you're into. I know nothing about that. Or, oh, I took a class in that and I got like a fucking D plus. I don't know if they have D pluses in Australia, <laughs> but it's like a bad grade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but just being able to recognize that people have their areas and that is a good thing and that the world needs that. 100%. Yeah, I think that's like, that was beautifully put and so important. And just, yeah, the idea that any profession or any discipline is lesser than the other is silly. I don't know. I'm just like a big believer in the idea that like do what you love, like yeah. do it full force. And no matter what it is, it could be anything in the world. But if you do it full force, you'll like, be fine. Yeah, it <laughs> might be a romantic idea. But I think it's a tr- like it's one. I think so too. It's a true romantic idea. Yeah. If you do it with like your heart and you like really put yourself into it, people will notice and they'll say, hey, it's cool that this person loves this thing and is doing this thing, and you'll be fine. It's way better to go into something that you think maybe isn't the most practical thing, but do it with all your heart, than to go into a practical profession that you don't love. Because people notice when people love what they do. And people love when they see people loving what they do. I think that's a human thing, and it's something we love to see. So if this is what you love, we 100% encourage you to do it and do it full force and you will be fine. Just trust that you will be fine. Yeah. But yeah, books. That's oh. our book recommendation. <laughs> and that was also a general statement to other people that are looking to go into art history. Or any field yeah. that they feel discouraged out of. Which, unfortunately, at this point in history, the arts, I feel like, yeah. are, are kind of on that. Um, so if you're going into any type of, like, arts thing and you feel humanities, you feel discouraged, like, stick with it, love it, and make it yours. But we have some book recommendations for you. These books, Carla, are coming from the collection of Ginny, so they are very limited. But I was thinking, because you had said, like, 20th century which is a little tricky for me, at least. We're I just have re- one. we're so just. So give her what you've got, because I have a, I have a twentieth century. This one is that great. Yeah. This is great because we're recording in my house, and I am like more of like the seventeenth, eighteenth century, and even sometimes sixteenth century person. But if you ever want to read about like the destruction of art, whether it be in like wartime or revolution, a really good book is. The Destruction of Art, (laughs) Iconoclasm and Vandalism Since the French Revolution. So that's, yeah, that's that's like kind of close to the 20s. I mean, it certainly spans into the 20th century. And this is by Dario Gamboni, Totalitarian Art by Igor Golemstock. And this just talks about art during like totalitarian rule, which is certainly like 20th century onward. The Art of Forgery by Noah Charney is a pretty fresh book. And it's by Noah Charney. Like he just really figured it out. Like he's publishing with Fidon, which like you're making some money that way. <laughs> That's so, how you make money, Carla. <laughs> yeah. Carla, if you're really worried about making money, just like get in with Fidon. <laughs> You'll be okay. But um, yeah, The Art of Forgery is a 
fascinating read and it's just about all of the art forgers really spanning from like a great duration of time from like kind of the 14th century or 15th century onward to now so that is certainly a good read and uh that's all i've got so uh john kashane good night (laughs) we've got a couple more okay so my textbook that i had from undergraduate uh modern art I think is it's pretty solid. It's a pretty solid text. Yeah. It's History of Modern Art by H.H. H. Arneson and Elizabeth C. Mansfield. And really, honestly, so many of like our episodes or so many of the subjects I've, I've even done like research papers on, I've consulted this text. It's just kind of got everything you want in terms okay, of good modernism. Resource. Yeah, it's yeah, an amazing. It, it may not be like a like something you reference in a paper, but it gives you like yeah. And it's just like, if you have something in modernism that you get into or interested in, it's a great book to go to. And it just like, every time I've looked at it, it sent me in really, really great directions. So that's just a good base text. And I think Natalie's got some ideas. Just based on some research I've done in the last year, two that stood out to me, depending on where your interests lie, if you look at getting outside of Western art, Contemporary Iranian Art by Talim Grigor is a very, very well-written book, and it covers Iranian art. It's the first to really cover art since the revolution in like a really um transparent way and it's it's just fascinating yeah so that's one of my high recommendations and then also 9.5 theses on art and class by ben davis is a great read it just delves into ideas on again art and class so different class hierarchies it's broken up by chapter and topics so you you don't feel overwhelmed it doesn't each chapter can kind of be read individually and there's an actual essay called, they're, they're basically individual essays, and one is called 9.5 Theses on Art and Class. That's where the title of the entire book comes from. He's a very well-known art critic. And that, that's 20th and 21st century. That delved a little more into 21st century. But um, And then one more um, that I know a few of us have read. If you're interested in curation at all or oh, gallery setup, the white cube. Yes. Um, inside the white cube. <laughs> inside the white cube. I can't think of the author's name, but just look oh, it up. I'll look it up. No, okay. I know him. He's great. Um, Natalie's looking it up. But inside the white cube, it's actually written by an artist, I believe in the 70s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But it, it essentially talks about gallery space and kind of the reimagining of gallery space. And it's a really interesting read when you think about exhibition and gallery work brian o'doherty yeah o'doherty i feel like i'm saying that wrong o'doherty that's right it's an easy read and it's really interesting and i really loved it i actually have been meaning to go back and read it again yeah it's really great so check that one out so that i think we gave you you a lot of books (laughs) we gave you your reading homework we love books (laughs) yeah so so yeah there's your homework but yes thank you all so much again for your emails and we got you. <laughs> we got like so many sweet emails and, like jessica's email we're gonna respond to you by type by by type font <laughs> by pigeon by by pigeon carrier by um, uh smoke signal um but yeah we've gotten so many great emails and we've gotten so many great shout outs on different social media platforms and we 
I promise you, we appreciate every single one of them. We do. We geek out we on them. We read them all. We share them all. Uh, yeah, we, like, get like, excited. Hey, did you guys have a shitty day? We'll read this. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it's amazing. So we appreciate every um, little bit of support we've gotten. Obviously, if you, I mean, if you want to show us any any love on any social media platform, we love every minute of it. If you want to email us, our email address is arthistorybabes at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can like us. If you really want to help us out and help us kind of get more um, like recognition, you can write a review for us on iTunes. Get kind of a conversation going there. That's how we we get noticed in the podcast world, I guess. So yeah, anything you want to do, like really, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Oh, we're on Tumblr too. Tell your mom. <laughs> tell your dad. <laughs> Don't tell hide your, them. Tell them. <laughs> Tell your cousins. <laughs> Jesus. Hide your mom. I know. <laughs> no. Hide no. your mom with with the podcast. <laughs> Hide your mom and then give her this podcast. Thank you so much for just giving, like, supporting us in this fun little endeavor. We're having so much fun Let's doing this. Our dragon yeah, and the fact that you're enjoying it is just unbelievably wonderful. And we really appreciate it. And we love all of you. And hopefully you'll keep listening. If you have any requests. Email us. We're doing our yeah. best to keep up with them. We really appreciate them. Oh, yeah. We are doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even describe the logic. Of <laughs> next, next week's architecture. Oh, my God. Okay, so thank you for listening to our second part of our two-parter on cubism. As Jenny said, we're doing our best. And our next episode is going to be on architecture and power. So it should be pretty interesting. We're going to be talking about Mussolini. We're going to be talking about... Le Corbusier. Le Corbusier. <laughs> and all kinds of other shit. Yeah, and it's going to be a good one. So thank you again Why for listening. the White House looks like it does. <laughs> okay. We're trying our best. Symbols all over the place. Oh!